What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The next chapter with Prim Saripapad is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, it's Prim. Welcome to the next chapter presented by Baron Davis and Slick Studios. This week's guest is former Stanford and NFL wide receiver Greg Camarillo. Greg was born and raised in California, and in high school, he lettered in football and basketball. He actually, as you'll hear, turned down an offer from Harvard to go to Stanford, where he walked on and spent all four years with the Cardinal football team as a wide receiver and also on special teams. Now, after college, although he went undrafted in the 2005 NFL draft, he proved a lot of his detractors and doubters wrong. He eventually got picked up by the San Diego Chargers that year and ended up having an eight-year NFL career. Truly unbelievable. And three of those years were spent with the Miami Dolphins, which is where he and I met since I was a reporter and anchor with the CBS affiliate in Miami at that time. Now, since retiring from football, Greg has done a lot of things. He earned a master's in educational leadership. He returned to the world of academia uh, as a successful advisor to not just students, but also student athletes in the Southern California area, including San Diego State University and the University of San Diego. And in addition to doing some color commentating during football season right now, he is also the founder of the Athlete Academy, which is aimed at helping high school student athletes get to the next level and make collegiate success this reality, if you will. So ever since our Miami days, Greg and I have truly stayed in touch. And I think what stands out to me in this conversation with him is, of course, not only the fun aspect of just reminiscing and catching up, but also him talking about what it's like to leave what many view, at least in our sports-obsessed society, as the cool job as an athlete and an NFL player. And then transitioning to what many view as just a, quote, normal job. And he talks about how having that external validation can really hinder one's ability to leave sport because it could be this pride-swallowing transitional period. And you have to learn how to let go of that external validation and really shut out the noise to draw in and focus on what you want in life because that is just going to be how you move forward. Now, whether or not you're an athlete, I think that's something that all of us can really connect with because it can be hard to put on the blinders and not worry about what everyone else is saying or doing. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Greg is a fantastic storyteller as well. Hope you get some laughs out of this. So without further ado, here's Greg Camarillo.
It's so fun to catch up with you. It's it's been a number of years, but you and I have stayed in touch, and it's been fun to watch each other's evolution. So, broadcasting. What? Where has broadcasting come into your career trajectory over the past several years? Because you've done it on and off every once in a while, right? Yeah. Uh, ever since you interviewed me as a player back in the day, <laughs> I, I started enjoying the the interviews and the experiences, um, and it was a way to stay connected with the game, uh, a way to feel relevant with football um, and and an outlet for years of knowledge of football. Um, And then like, you know, like we just mentioned, it it replaced a part of me that was missing from football, which was that, that nervousness, that uh, excitement of a performance, um, getting to do something, it's never going to go hundred percent perfectly, you know, learning from that and then getting to try it again to improve. Um, those are the aspects of football that I get from broadcasting. And it's not, it's not my career. It's, it's, I don't know, a side hustle, a hobby, um, an outlet. Yeah. Wow. You know, I think a lot of people, a lot of athletes feel that way. I mean, it seems to be a very easy transition for athletes, especially at the pro level to become analysts do some color commentating or even some play-by-play. But I don't think I've ever heard anyone specifically say it the way I have said it, because that is really, uh, I don't want to say the only reason, but I was it was probably the primary reason why I got into broadcasting, because I don't know, I just figured like if I couldn't be an athlete and if I couldn't compete and play, at least I could continue being around athletes and yeah. continue being around sports. So in that sense, it, it's really given you that sense of um, that performance too, that adrenaline rush a little bit. You yeah, think? Absolutely. It, it's, there's not many things in my day to day as a dad, as a, uh, as an academic advisor that like make you nervous or make you excited. Um, or that, you know, that moment when the lights come on or that moment when you come out of a tunnel playing football, those things don't just pop up. It's not like you get, you know, I suddenly get an email from my boss. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's go time. Like, it just that doesn't really happen. And so um, that was my way of recreating those emotions, um, mm-hmm. recreating that feeling, recreating that excitement. It, it is not the same, but it uh, it gives me that little that little portion of um, what I liked about football. Yeah, there is something about that, just that live experience. And also the other side of it is. If you make a mistake, it is really out there for everybody else to see, which is something you really experience, especially being an NFL player. And uh, you mentioned <laughs> flashback to when I interviewed you. So we got to we got to do a little flashback because All right. we you I mean, I, I would interview your, you uh, repeatedly when you were there from 2007 to 2010, because that was when I was a reporter and anchor. Yeah. with CBS there in Miami during that time. But I actually did a whole piece on you, the Unplugged with Prim. So for those that know, which many people don't, no one knows, um, <laughs> unless you were in Miami during that time. But I created this segment called Unplugged with Prim. And the whole the whole point was to show the the person behind the athlete, which I find ironic because that's exactly what I'm doing 15 years later. Uh-huh. So we did kind of like an MTV Cribs with you. Yeah. You and your now wife, Sharon, were nice enough to open up your home and allow our cameras to invade your entire humble abode. And that was 
that was fun. What do you remember of that? Yeah, uh, my my other dog, was, my dog now just walked in, but my dog from back then was also also made a, a debut. Wow. Um, you know what? So the funny thing is, when you, when I look back at my career, there were a lot of moments that it was like, oh, like this is cool. Like I'm I'm an NFL receiver. I made it. <laughs> um, and it wasn't so much like catching a touchdown like that. You know, you would think that's the moment, but it's the little things like, wow, I just did like a fake cribs episode. Like, <laughs> how cool. Uh, the first time I saw a trading card, like, uh, oh, my God, I have a card um, running out of the tunnel, you know, with the smoke and all that, like hearing my name as a starter, those things. It wasn't really so much the game, but the side things like doing an interview with you that really were like, wow, like this thing has worked out pretty well. Yeah. Whereas before you would have been like, does anybody really want to come to my house and see my garage? But at that point. Yeah. yeah, you were. Yeah. And during that period, that is when Stephen Ross kind of took over as as ownership and they started really doing all these different things like bringing in the Serena Williams and JLo's of the world to be part yeah. owners, the, the orange carpet. They started yeah. putting like the live lounge in the football stadium. So a lot of people don't really recognize it's like a different experience. You grew up in California where it's all football and it's just like the traditional experience where Miami, I mean, it was all like lights and action and you guys were very much uh not only just celebrities but it was just like a different kind of celebrity i think in miami yeah yeah it's 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 uh magnified um, i mean we're not i'm in san diego we're not far from la where it's also like that as well um but Stephen ross made a point of that and that was that was fun i mean j-lo was on the side sidelines of game i'm telling quarterbacks hey no ball that way. I want to run over there. <laughs> uh, you know, it, Serena and, and Venus come to practice. Like, it's just things like that that are yeah. just cool moments that um, that, I, that I'll treasure. You know, there was fun times, things that were connected to football, but weren't necessarily the football itself. Yeah. It's also really interesting to hear you say about flashes or different moments that didn't necessarily have to do with, like, the in-game experience that made you feel like that celebrity status as a football player. So it was like, you know, going the unplug with Prim, the MTV Cribs type experience. But why do you think that is that those experiences outside rather than the game itself can kind of like amplify your experience in this and in, in, in kind of being put on a pedestal as yeah. an athlete? Um, that's a great question. Um, the first thing that comes to mind, and, I, and I'd have to sit on this for a while, but when you think about the actual football, a lot of anxiety comes up because of how much criticism, film, feedback you get from doing everything. So for every good moment of football, I recall a terrible moment of football where I'm like, damn, I should have made that catch or I got, I got yelled at for holding on that play. Um, whereas it's not like there's the equivalent, like I remember JLo being on the game. I don't remember an equivalent bad moment. Um, and so <laughs> the anxiety of the game disappears when I talk about these memorable moments outside of the game. Wow. Yeah. I think that that makes sense because in some of the research that I'm doing, the one thing that a lot of athletes talk about especially those with um, in ge revenue generating sports like football and also basketball, not just at the college level, but at the professional level, is they will talk about just the level of expectation 
the pressure, the level of expectation. It almost, it's all, it seems like it almost maybe even at times neutralizes the experience, like that high that you might experience. Cause it's like, you have these moments of, of celebration and these highlights, but it can kind of like just be taken away in a second. Yeah. And it, and it that's experienced during the game. If you have, for me, if I had a really good first half, I almost didn't necessarily want to go out there in the second half. Cause I didn't want to, F it up of what I had already accomplished or, you know, I've done a great job up until the last drive. I don't want to blow it. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's, it's a high risk, high reward job. Uh, not no high reward, high responsibility job where hmm. you are going to get, uh, to play at a high level. You're going to play with the best in the world. You're going to get money. You're going to get fame and cool experiences. But along with that, you know, you've got the responsibility of an entire organization when the ball is thrown your way, um, an entire team counting on you. Uh, it's sometimes even a city counting on you. Um, yeah. And so there's there's that responsibility. Um, and that that's what you sign up for. But that doesn't mean it doesn't weigh on you. But that's just part of the part of the job. I hope this doesn't come off as an ignorant question, because I might the answer might feel very obvi- obvious, but. For you as a, a as a receiver, and obviously, especially as a as a quarterback, do you feel that level of responsibility is much greater because your what your your particular position is just so magnified because you're yeah. the one that has to you know you're in the spotlight. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a few positions like that. Quarterback, obviously, but um, I think DB might be the the biggest one because the slightest error and you give up a touchdown, everybody sees it. Whereas a a linebacker, a lineman, they miss something. There's usually someone behind them to clean it up. Um, a receiver, yeah, because if you drop an important third down, everyone sees it, everyone knows it. Mm-hmm. Uh, camera zooms in on you. So yeah, there was there was there was a, a heightened re- sense of responsibility, but um, not the most. Those those poor DBs out there on an island by themselves, the quarterbacks, they feel they get a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think DBs and also kickers, is, I think being a kicker is a very thankless job. You're just kind of like, if you miss it, there's nowhere to go but down. You're you're expected to, to make it. Make it. <laughs> and then if you don't, you're just like the joke of the town for like yep. the week. You got a great months. life if you make it. Just don't miss. Yeah, <laughs> that's just a horrible way to live. Yeah, but um, well, I'm curious about what your transition from football like, and you and I were just kind of catching up beforehand and, and diving in, but just generally, what was it like leaving the game that had brought you so much? Yeah. So it, I think it's important to start with the background that I was a walk on going into college. I was undrafted coming out of college, had a tryout with the chargers. So I didn't expect a career. I, didn't, I honestly didn't think I would ever put on an NFL Jersey. So that, kind of changes the mindset. Uh, I majored in engineering in college. I did internships in engineering. I thought I would be an engineer. Like it just, it just made sense. Uh, and so I got a shot at playing in the NFL, which every day could have been my last. And that could happen with anyone, but you know, more so for an undrafted guy. Um, so I was always thinking about what's next, what's next, what's next. And that doesn't necessarily mean my transition was flawless. Um, but Every offseason, every year, I went into it thinking maybe maybe I can get one more year. Um, and so that helped me plan for the future. Uh, also had a, a real good support team. Uh, my wife now, my my parents, my brother, sister, like everyone was 
around to, to help out. Um, the hardest parts, one, not knowing what the end is. And I think football might be the biggest culprit of that. Um, you could get a call anymore. We saw with Eric Weddle this last year, he got a call. I hadn't played in two years, maybe, and got a call to come play in the Super Bowl or play in the playoffs leading to the Super Bowl. Like everybody holds on to that moment. Like maybe they'll call, maybe they'll call. Um, and so I retired at 30, retired, which means didn't have a job anymore. Um, at 30, my body was hurting. I was running out of opportunities. My final season was off and on with the Saints. I'd be on the team like every other week. Um, I think I had four catches. So I knew things were waning. But I didn't necessarily want to fully let go. I um, I applied to graduate school knowing I could back out of it if my phone rang. Um, I was pretty much like 90% cool with being retired. My agent calls and he says, hey, uh, someone called to see if you're still working out a team. I forget what team it was. And that like, I was like, oh, snap, maybe I got another year in me. I went to the park, started running routes. My next door neighbor was a high school quarterback. He was throwing me the ball. And it wow. just like, it just cracked the door open a little bit um, that maybe the next chapter wasn't starting. Um, so that that set the stage for the retirement. And then once I felt like I was, it, the NFL was done with me, um, I enrolled in graduate school. I had just become a new father. My first child was born January 5th. I finished playing in November. So like a month or two before that. Um, and so I got to put my energy into being a dad um, for eight or nine months before I started graduate school. So that gave me something to focus on. Um, and then also gave me graduate school, gave me a plan for the upcoming years. Wow. So the end point, you kind of dove into the next chapter because you're you were immediately stepped into father role and, and that will be enough to an infant will is certainly enough to keep you busy, but it is really, there's so many different parts. I want to go through that, but it sounds like, yeah, the expectations. I mean, looking back at your history, you walked on. So I feel like the fact that you walk on, you immediately think like, well, I think it's easier to think of not really preparing for a professional athletic career. Cause it's like, well, I, I got to, focus on making on the collegiate team and then you go undrafted, but then you strung together eight years in the NFL, which is wild. Like that's, that's a long career for, especially for somebody who went undrafted. Yeah. It, um, I, I was fortunate to be given some opportunities and had learned lessons through my football journey that when an opportunity comes up, you absolutely have to take advantage of it. Um, and so the, the only reason I got a shot in the NFL was because James Lofton, a Hall of Fame receiver, was the wide receiver coach in San Diego. His son was my teammate at Stanford, and he always liked to give Stanford guys a shot. Um, so he was the only one that gave me an opportunity. And I got a chance to try out with the Chargers. Um, and then I was on a practice squad, got a chance to play special teams, made the team, um, got a chance to actually play in Miami. And so every time I just had learned be prepared for that opportunity because eventually it will come. And when it comes, you better take advantage of it. Uh, and then that just kind of snowballed into eight years. Oh, wow. Now you, you turned down Harvard. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Right. So you, and were you going, going to play football there? I was good. Uh, yeah, I wasn't recruited. Um, it was more like if, if you get in, 
we'll let you play. It wasn't like a, Hey, we want you to come here. And I had already been admitted. Um, so you got in, wait, so you got into Harvard with no athletic really commitment. So you, you so you actually like got into Harvard like, yeah, I got based in a, on your, God, yeah. I mean, I knew you were a smarty pants, but geez. I, uh, you know, my parents always stress school. And so. Greg, oh my I, gosh. I that's tried to a, handle that's, business. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so you turned and Stanford was literally the only program that offered you the option uh, to play. So. I took one recruiting trip to a D3 school in St. Louis. I had no division one offers to do anything. I had already been admitted to Stanford. My dad is a professor at Stanford. Um, a high school coach, my dad and a high school coach, both knew Tyrone Willingham, who was the head coach. So I got to sit down with him uh, and they were based. He was basically like, you know, you're already a student here. Sure. Why not come walk on as a punter, mind you. Uh, and I brought my recruiting tape with me old school VHS recruiting tape and put it in um, Stop. and had receiving highlights. And just, you know, I was kind of wanting to play receiver and he said, sure, we'll give you a shot. And so away I went as a punter slash receiver. That is an unbelievable story. And there's something fishy in this story in the sense of it fishy in a good way, because it doesn't, um, it doesn't, come together in the sense of like, oh, I just happened to get really lucky. And I, and that's giving you credit because there's more to your story than that. There's no way that somebody just like undrafted and then, you know, you get one shot after another in, in the NFL and then it just happens over a course of like 12 years. So what sets you apart from others who are in your position? Yeah, this goes back to your rapid fire. So hardworking, um, okay. I... I took a lot of pride in, in being a hard worker. I was never the fastest guy, but coaches would know that I was giving it my all, um, a willingness to do whatever I needed to do. So um, in my era of football, which they've banned now, there was the four-man wedge on kickoff return, and they'd send a little guy like me to go run into it. And it doesn't make sense. Why should a guy that was 195 pounds run into two grown men that are probably combined <laughs> 600 pounds? Um, but I did it and I didn't necessarily do it at, you know, at the highest level, but I was not, a, I was, I was willing to do whatever the coach said or whatever the team needed. Um, uh, yeah. going into my second year, uh, I had a, a unofficial mentor and Kasim Osgood, a special teams guru wide receiver who was a, a friend and teammate. And I just got to watch him. Um, and so he even made the pro bowl as a special teamer. So I was like, all right, let me see what this guy's doing. Um, uh, and try to emulate it. He's bigger, stronger, faster. So I couldn't do exactly what he was doing, but he used to bust up wedges. So my very <laughs> first kickoff of my second year, I decided to bust up a wedge. And I went in as fast as I could, head first into two big guys. And I got ejected head first back out the other way. Oh my gosh. I fell on the ground. They fell on top of me. The returner fell over everyone. I got credited with a tackle because everyone fell on top of me. Uh, and it was, a, it was disastrous looking. <laughs> the guys laughed at me, but it showed the coaches, if we tell Greg to go do this, he's going to go do it. And that was kind of like the theme of my career is if they want something done, I'm going to find a way to get it done. Uh, whether that's running a route, getting a block, you know, going, trying to make a tackle, whatever it is, send me out there. I'm going to give you the best I got. <laughs> I'm, I'm messaging my producer. We are definitely clipping that off for social media. It's like that looked disastrous, but I will basically that that 
exemplified your work ethic and basically like, dude, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. And kind of incorporating your, I mean, you're obviously extremely intelligent. And so you, you know, not only hard work, but you, I would imagine that you know how to work, uh, put focus towards the specific things and yeah. work hard on the things to get to the next level. Because is, is that not such an important aspect of just skill development, especially as an athlete? Like yeah. you can yeah. work hard, but it's mindless practice, you know, so you, it has to be so focused. Yes. So focused. So this exact example. So I was an engineer. I studied a lot of physics. Force equals mass times acceleration. So stick with me here. I don't, I don't know what you okay. said, but hopefully it's. No, so I'm I so bad at it, but yeah, right, keep it I'm simple. 200 pounds yeah. and the guy, the guy I'm running into is uh, 300 pounds. <laughs> I mean, I have to be going. If his mass is double mine, well, which is not true. I'm already lost. It's, it's, it's been a lot. <laughs> but anyway, I broke it down to an equation where if his mass is double mine, I need to be accelerating at twice the rate of his, which I figured I could run twice as fast as this big guy. So I tried it. Didn't work. But that was that book <laughs> where I was like, okay, I've been given a task. I need to figure out how to get it done uh, and then go do it. And that was, uh, you know, press coverage was difficult for me in college. Now, the rules in college are different. It's harder. But I knew that was a weakness and I needed to figure it out. And by the time I finished in my NFL career, I loved it when a guy came to press me because I had worked yeah. on that technique so much that it had become a strength. Um, and so, like you mentioned, I I took a cerebral approach to how do I solve this problem? I need to get this done. How do I how do I solve it? And if that's with a fake physics equation or practicing technique after practice, um, I was going to find a way. That's awesome. Yeah, you lost me on the equation part. Um, <laughs> I lost myself too. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I asked those questions and that's such a good setup to my next question in that I believe it was it was Josh Childress, actually, a former Stanford NBA player. Yeah, who mentioned I believe it was our interview, but he talked about how athletes are delusional and they have to be delusional in the sense of you you have to always believe that you are good or the greatest. You have to hold out hope about opportunity. And you always have to, because there's so many people that tell you, you can't, especially with, with what athletes, what we do. Cause it's like, I mean, you're not, you can't do 200 pull-ups or you can't, there's no, you're 195 pounds. You can't, you know, there's no way you're going to be able to do that. So that delusional perspective and approach is what allows athletes to achieve the success that they do. But I think what gets in the way is that when retirement comes and the body starts to fall apart and no one's picking you up, it's like, where do you draw the line? It's like, I'm still holding out hope, like that door is still open. So what was that experience of like always having, figuring, being able to figure it out throughout your college and NFL career? And then getting to the point, it's like, can I really figure this out? Yeah. So as going into my last year, I wanted I wanted to keep playing and no one was calling. I wasn't getting any opportunity. So um, I called Bill Parspells, who was, let's call him the president when he was with Miami. He oversaw yeah. everything. Um, yeah. So we had a decent enough relationship where I felt like I could call him. And his advice was basically, don't chase it. And my response was, I don't think I'm chasing it. I can still play football. And he said, Greg, you're always going to feel like you could go run a slant route and get open. 
that doesn't necessarily mean you should have an opportunity in the NFL. And, and that stuck with me for a while. First of all, I didn't like it because I wanted to keep playing, but <laughs> I didn't want to hear him. Um, but just until, let's see, I'm 40 years old now. I would probably say until I was 37, 38, I could have gone out there and run a slant route, slant route and got open. Um, and so that stuck with me for a while that even though I feel I should be out there, doesn't necessarily mean I should be out there. Wow. Um, and so every time I had that feeling, so for a couple years, I kind of separated from the game. I didn't really watch football because every time I'd watch it, I'd think, why is that effort out there? That should be me. Or, oh man, he got hurt. Now I could jump right in there. Um, and so it was hard for me to have that feeling like I could still do this, but not be able to do it. Um, and so I don't think it was necessarily delusional because like Bill Parcell said, I probably could go out there and do it, but could I do it better than a 25 year old, better than a 22 year old who could probably do the same thing, but also have 10 years left on his career. Um, and so that was, that was hard to kind of let go of. Wow. That is such an interesting thing to hear from Parcells. I think he was the vice president of team operations at the time. Maybe he got picked over something like that around. Um, but yeah, I mean, and Miami was going when, when you were there, 2007, 2010, they picked him up because they were going through a string of losing seasons and whatnot. But that's, I, I would have, um, and this is obviously me not having any personal relationship other than professional relationship in media, but I would have I guess dubbed him as somebody who was just all about the all football mentality when it comes to players and keeping players like locked in and hungry and nothing else. So that's actually really surprising to hear that from him. I don't know. What else did you take from when he said that to you? (laughs) That he wasn't going to help me get signed to a team that day. (laughs) That's what I was hoping for. I figured if he knows that he knows everyone. Um, uh, you know what? It, it it actually kind of fueled me more to want to try to go get back in the game. Um, it just I it wasn't what I wanted to hear. Um, I honestly don't necessarily think it was the right thing. Well, let me not take that back because he he knows a lot of football scene. A lot of people retired. Um, but what I always hated and I heard somebody say this to another player recently was you're a smart guy, you're a hard worker, you're motivated, you're going to do great things after this game. I don't care. I'm trying to play football. Like, I didn't, I don't want to hear that. Don't, it was like lessening my ability to keep going by telling me I should go do something else. I'll get to that. I wanted to keep playing football. Um, And even though like my body was hurting, my heart wasn't really necessarily in it. I still wanted one more crack at it. Uh, And fortunately I I got that. Drew Brees had contract negotiations, so he was in San Diego working out. I was working out with him. The Saints had a bunch of wide receiver injuries, and then I finally got a chance to go try out with the Saints. Tryout went perfectly, and then I ended up playing, and that was just enough for me to to exit feeling like, okay, I got one more shot, and I gave it my all. And I'm not going to say we talked about earlier, the door was still cracked, but it gave me a little bit of peace knowing that somebody gave me a shot and I took full advantage of it. Oh, so you found a sense of peace. Had you not gotten that opportunity with the saints, you feel like it would have, you would have felt less closure. Absolutely. 100%. Really? Um, 
So yeah, I got to try. I got like I talked about earlier. I was always going to be prepared for an opportunity. So mm-hmm. I remember being in the car, crossing the freeway overpass. My phone rings from New Orleans. They say we want to bring you in for a trial. When can you come? I literally hit a U-turn, went home, packed up, left. <laughs> I was so ready. Um, I ran the fastest forty of my life with them at thirty years old. Wow. Uh, they brought in a young guy that was probably he was fresh out of college. So let's say twenty-two, mm-hmm. um, and I just. I don't know how to say this without saying it could sounding egotistical. I just looked better in all of the drills. Mm-hmm. I was 100% prepared for that moment. And that, that allowed me to rest well, knowing, all right, I got that shot I was looking for, the one that Parcells told me to stop chasing. Uh, and I took advantage of it. And it gave me another year, um, kind of year. And it wasn't the greatest year, but that was the goal. And that's what I got. Wow. So even it sounds like you got some peace of mind and you got the closure or some aspect of closure that I would say most athletes don't really get, especially I think at the pro level too, because I think it's, I think it gets even harder the higher you go yeah. uh, because there's just so much more invested, so much more time and it becomes so much a part of your lifestyle and trajectory. So what was the most difficult part? about leaving football, even if you had had some closure? Yeah. So um, the most difficult part was, well, trying to figure out what was next. And that was a gradual process for me. I got to put energy into into my daughter, um, taking care of her. My final year, I was sitting in a room in New Orleans, YouTubing how to change a diaper because I had no idea. Um, and so I got to put energy into that, which felt good. And then I started, I started graduate school, which bought me school. That's cool. Like Mm -hmm. it it buys you time to figure things out. Uh, And then I started a career as an academic advisor um, at both San Diego State and the University of San Diego. And I love my job. I still do it today. was super excited about it. Uh, I remember my first business cards, my first office. Here I am like, you know, redefining myself. And people would ask, hey, Greg, what are you doing now? Oh, I'm an academic counselor. Oh, and that's it. And that was it. End of conversation. We move on to something else. And so that that was like a blow to my self-esteem. Um, and I know one shouldn't go looking for a boost of your ego, a boost of self-esteem from what other people are telling you. I get that. A psychologist can have a field day with my statement. That's okay. But after being a football player for eight years pro, five years college, like you get like, it's just part of everyone finds out what you do. And it's exciting. Like, Oh my God, you play football. Let's talk about it. Oh my God. I saw you on TV. Let's talk about it. And then suddenly it's the total opposite. You're an academic counselor. Okay. Um, And so that, that was hard for me. Uh, And that was after climbing to the, to the top of the mountains of, of playing in front of 80,000 people playing TV in front of millions of people, Barack Obama announced my name on TV for Hispanic Heritage Month, like these things that I will cherish for the rest of my life to suddenly going to a job where no one gives to anything's about it. It was, it was, I had to learn to find that, that I had to redefine my self-esteem really and find that, that internal, um, that internal pride as opposed to you know, the external boost. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think you really described it very, very well. 
And I think that hearing more about your transition, because I think I think it's easy for a lot of athletes to get into certain industries where it, the optics of it feels less of a like a major dip, you know, yeah. maybe like open a restaurant or get into like real estate and still continue to navigate around those similar social circuit circles. Yeah. And so I really, really do applaud you for going back to school, especially if you're a little bit older than some of your peers and really like re-engaging with the academic space. What I, was are old, you? I was definitely the old man in class. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm like the old, are you kidding me? Am I, yeah, my program, I'm definitely like one of the older ones for sure. And so, you know, when you're, when you're hearing some of those comments and I want other athletes and I also want the audience and the public and parents and coaches and everybody to understand what it's like to walk in your shoes, not as an athlete, but now as a retired athlete, because that's the stuff that we don't get to hear. So when you're in those moments, like what is said and how does it make you feel? Um, it's hard for, for me, but a lot of former athletes to hear the question, like, what are you doing now? Uh, and not necessarily having a plan. I kind of just applied to graduate school knowing that it gave me an answer to those things. I mean, I, I knew it was a pathway towards something. Didn't know for sure what that pathway was going to be. Um, but after being so driven, waking up every morning with a purpose, like I'm going to work out so I can make this team or I'm going to practice so I can win this game so we can try to win a Super Bowl. I'm going to class, then practice because I want a degree and I want to go to the Rose Bowl. Like every day had a goal. I'm doing this. I'm busting my rear because I want to achieve this. And then suddenly that's gone. And mm-hmm. like, I would, you know, I'd wake up to take care of my daughter, but that's different. I mean, you take, yeah, it is. Pride in that, but it's not, there's no Super Bowl of parenting. I'm not waking up and changing a diaper because I want to win a ring for <laughs> diaper changing. Um, and so having that, not having that goal, not having that endpoint, not having something that to visualize as to why I'm doing this work um, was difficult. It was it was a void. Um, and to be honest with you, it's I don't think you ever really truly fill that void. I mean, there's people that take on other things, but I work out just to stay in shape. And mm-hmm. sometimes I don't feel like doing it. But if there was a I'm doing this to make the team. I'm going to find a way to get motivated to do it. And so, um, you know, I, I think that's just something you learn to deal with as you transition away from sport. Do you think you or anybody else or other athletes, especially in the NFL, because NFL and NBA now, um, but going for that Super Bowl ring and that championship, how much of it is is reinforced by sports, our society, societal beliefs and norms, especially living in America? Like, do you think that goal will would still be put on this level had it not been for the society that we live in? No. Would you still have it, that? I mean, it's valued in our society. Like, there's no... I, I, I would think almost the majority of cultures and society in this world today value some some form of sport it's going to be a different a different form yeah. but those athletes uh are put on a pedestal and it's because they're doing things that most people cannot do 
Um, and it's fun to watch. It's fun to be a part of. You represent a city, you represent a university, um, a state. Like it's, it's on the other side of it, it's fun to cheer for those people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I get to, I'm in awe of, I watched Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert battle it out. I'm in awe of them. They are spectacular human beings. Um, and so I think that's okay. I think it's okay to put athletes on a pedestal. Uh, I don't think that's going to change. I think that's, that's just part of society. Is there anything that could have prepared you better for those moments where somebody's like, hmm, okay, that's what you do? Is there anything that would have really better prepared um, you for those moments? No, I remember the first time it happened to. I just, no one had ever talked about it. And I don't know if it, other people felt it the same way I did. But I remember the first time. I was so proud to have a job and so proud to share about it. And it just, it just fell flat. Um uh yes and i mean just 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 to it's a great question um and i think it goes to developing a an athlete supporting an athlete and being more than an athlete you can put 100% of your time energy and effort into your sport you should but there's still time to do something else uh, and that should doesn't necessarily take away from your preparation. Um, whatever it is, explore it, be something more than an athlete. And that way, when it is cuz come time for that, there's a little bit more pride. There's a little bit more identity involved with that next step. Um, yes. And so I think that's what kept me from kind of like diving into a dark hole with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt a sense of pride, internal pride of being an academic counselor. I come from a family of educators. My wife's a teacher. The people around me supported me and took pride in what I was doing. Um, If I didn't have that, it probably would have been more difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. So the people around you supporting your identity outside of being an athlete is important. And it doesn't necessarily mean fans have to. Fans want to see you be an athlete. That's fine. But your support team should value you for being more than an athlete. And that support team helped me out a lot. (laughs) Who do you remember who this person was that oh, responded with oh, the it was a neighbor? Oh. No, <laughs> it was I a neighbor. Oh, that's I even worse because then you got to see them all the time. No, I was uh, I don't remember the exact person. <laughs> I just got to remember. And then you're the avoiding them if Finally it's your got neighbor. Non football job. I was so excited and just boom. Well, you, yes, I want to say that even if it's just you and I, yes, there are other athletes that feel that way. So, and after having talked to dozens of athletes, I mean, I would say, gosh, like I would say eight or nine out of 10 definitely feel that way. I remember that um, after graduating from Duke, I landed a, a job at a local television station in North Carolina. I was like, oh my God, this is so rad. Like I got, I got my foot in the door and this yeah. job is paid. But I was only making eight dollars an hour, so I'm yeah. like, "This is awesome, Mom!" Like you said, I went to Duke. I yeah. also got into Harvard, and yet I could probably make more working at McDonald's. But that's okay. I was excited, yeah. right? And um, and then I moved. I, I remember being at the next station, my next job, and I had become like a producer, and I was still trying to get in front of the camera, and I was making like twenty three, twenty three thousand, and I I don't know why I'm thinking about a particular photographer or person. 
there was something that happened where I was like, wow. Like I, no one knows that I was an athlete here. Maybe no one knows about my, even my academic background. And it sounds really, really, really superficial and very privileged. I recognize that I come from a place of privilege where I was like, oh, like I get to say that I'm a Duke student athlete and you can kind of get away with things or you don't have to like, you know, it's like you have this sense of being proven or whatever. I think just generally speaking as an athlete. And then I remember thinking like, wow, I don't. I'm just an average Joe now. I'm just an average person. And that for me was felt very um, – it was hard. It was really a hard pill to swallow. It did, did it happen again when you left TV? Because being on TV, whether I know it doesn't pay well necessarily, but it's cool. Like people love that. They see you on TV. They say, hey, oh, I it saw did. CBS portion. And then suddenly you're not doing that again. I'm assuming yeah. there was a drop off there as well. Yeah. Well, you know what? I actually experienced it multiple times. I think – my transition from tennis was probably emotionally the hardest because I was not equipped to handle it. I didn't know the proper coping skills. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but after I covered, after um, my time in Miami, after that Super Bowl in 2010, I was laid off because of the economic, the financial crisis yeah. in 2008 and there were budget cuts, everything. I got laid off. So then I was in between stuff. So that was another hit because <clears throat> I was around Miami and people would see me like, Prim, like what, you know, like, and, uh, but I had to go through it publicly because in Miami, it's such a small town. So everybody knew I was like laid off. Then I go to ESPN and then yeah. I get laid off again. The thing that helped me was like, they had laid off Ron Jaworski and Danny Cannell and like Jerome, I ran into Jerome Bettis in the airport and like he had gotten laid off. I'm like, well, God, yeah. if he, they're going to let go of a Super Bowl champ, then I, I'm okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, to experience that loss and to do it publicly yeah. is, is a really pride swallowing experience. And so you have to, you know, I guess from, if I was like, kind of relating it back to sports, like that's where you just like focus in and you dial in on the game plan and what's important to you. I also, it, it made me, and I don't know if you went through this, but it forced me to reflect a lot on myself. Like, what do I want? Who do I want to be? Where am I going? And I think the people that like engage in those like really difficult, deep processing thoughts yeah. and periods, I think those are the people that are able to get out of it better. Maybe. Yeah. What do you um, think? Yes. And so it, I'm going to take you on a little quick story time right here. So let's do it. Uh, in college, I used to do these little psychology experiments for money. Like you go spend 20, oh. you know, an hour here, 20, just take these little tests and stuff. And so there was a company that wanted to interview, I guess, student athletes or somebody. And they wanted to give me 50 bucks for an hour. So I was like, this is great. Sign me up. I'll, I'll do whatever. I answer any question you want. <laughs> and so they talked to me. They, they said, draw a picture of your future goals or something, something like that. So I, I'm not the greatest artist, but I drew a picture, two pictures. And one was like the route of football works out. And the other one is the route of engineering works out. Um, wow. And the one with football working out was a house on a hill with a garage. I didn't grow up with a garage. Always thought garages were cool. Always wanted to. <laughs> uh, and, uh, oh no, that was engineering route because I figured 
you know, I'd, I'd make enough money being an engineer to get a house on a hill with a garage. Uh, and then the football mm-hmm. one was if football works out and then doing something to help people work, you know, to impact lives. Um, and so when football was done, football gave, you know, was good enough to get me a house on a hill with a garage check. And then I got to reflect back on that picture and think, okay, well, let's do the other part of this where I get to impact lives. And so that's what led me to becoming an academic counselor. I've started a nonprofit working with student athletes. And that's exactly what you talked about, refocusing on that game plan. I've always remembered that interview of what are the two end goals and how can I achieve both of them? Um, And football gave me that pathway to achieve the house with the garage on the hill. And now I need to get back to that game plan of figuring out how I can impact lives. Um, And so I just like you, I I thought about that. And then that that helped guide what the next steps were. That is an unbelievable story. That's and that was just like the psychological. You don't even know what it was for. It was 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 some exercise for like a local company. I don't know what a design company. So I was a product design engineer. And they want, I don't know what they wanted, but I signed up for all those things because this is before the days where student athletes could make any money. So sign me up. You need, I got an hour. You got 20 bucks. Um, so I signed up for it and I don't, I have no idea what the purpose was, but to this day, I wish, I wish I still had that. It was a terrible little sketch, but. My producer Mays mentioned a route tree. Mays, feel free to chime in here, but I think he said it. Yeah. It's a route tree. I have. Well, I've Greg never... drew up a route tree for his career, which is. The same thing that he would do in the NFL is have a route tree of routes that he would run. So he's really keeping it on brand. There you go. Wow. That's, there a, you go. Yeah, that's a good analogy right there. Ching, the more you know. Thank you, Maze. Um, <laughs> that is really fascinating. But I, I love that because I am actually, I'm always going to remember that story because I think in a lot of the work that I'm doing, I'm externing at a VA hospital right now because I think that a lot of the things that veterans experience might be similar to what athletes experience, obviously not the trauma, but in the sense of like they retire so early, identity is so important. And so I am in the process of like really trying to figure out some sort of program or curriculum, exercises like that, that prepares athletes. And that was just like a one-off thing for you. And you remembered that like 15 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that forced me to articulate what, what I was like, my emotions, what I was feeling. Um, but I remember the exact moment, um, was amazed. They gave me money to, to, to do that. Um, but it, it I mean, it, it forced me to sum up my, my goals and my values. Um, and I was able to come back to that, which it brings a sense of pride to this day about what football did for me. You know, it was the moments of, fans cheering for you the moments of signing autographs that goes now i still randomly get dolphin fans sending me cards to sign which is still fun but those moments those moments leave um what sticks around is the you know what pride can you get from your career and you can see from my background i'm clearly proud of what i was able to accomplish but it provided a house for my family and provided me enough financial freedom to really go pursue my passion, uh, my passion outside of sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I, I reflect back on my career. I get a sense, that sense of pride that is missing when someone says academic advisor. Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> I get that. I get a little bit of intrinsic joy from looking back at my career and seeing what I was able to accomplish. 
I'm not laughing at your, but the way you describe it, it's just so funny because I've literally sat there in that moment. And when I was in between jobs, I might be, you know, coaching tennis and then I really get the, oh, oh, okay. yeah, that's yeah. Nice. yeah, yeah, huh? when it's like the puzzled, oh, okay. And then there's like the pause rather than the, oh, wow. Like yeah. that's, it's just an authentic response where you're like, wow, well, I feel really awful. Thank yeah. you. Well, I try to do uh, that to people. Someone can tell me any job <laughs> in the world. I'm a garbage man. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the repeated oh. trauma. So if your daughter, if you're one of your Whatever daughters, like, is, no matter yeah, what wow. someone says, I will <laughs> attack it with excitement. That is amazing. And I'll ask 10 questions. Because I don't want them to feel bad, to, 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 to feel that feeling that I have. <laughs> the ridiculous trauma that you experience afterwards with a lack of joy and excitement uh-huh. in telling people what you do. So outside of football, what is it that you are most pride or proud of in all that you've accomplished? And you've got, you know, going back to school, masters, you have um, the new athlete academy, broadcasting, yeah. like all these things, obviously being a father. Yeah. Um, family's probably a big chunk of that, um, being around present involved with my wife and my kids. Um, I get to go lead because of football and the financial freedom that that granted me, I get to go to the, my kid's school and lead PP. I get to coach their soccer, things like that. So I get a lot of pride from being very involved with them. Um, and then just kind of the relationships and impact that I try to have on my student athletes watching them succeed even though i'm just a small portion of it students have coaches teachers trainers all that that allows them to succeed but getting to be a small part of that journey um and thinking that i had some sort of impact in it along the way no uh, you do it 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 brings a lot of pride um and to know that i am being you know having a positive influence on those people developing relationships with those people watching students grow and then, you know, become successful in whatever they do. Um, it's good. It brings me a sense of pride. I, I, I rest easy at night knowing that I found the right profession for me, uh, that I'm having an impact. And then, um, you know, I started, started this nonprofit to try to provide that same resource to kids that are not yet in a college or university. Um, this is year one. I think I'm starting to have an impact. That's awesome. Um, but we'll see over the course of time. Hopefully that, you know, I'll get that same, that same joy of, of being a small part of their journey as well. Don't, don't answer that with a question, question mark. You are having an impact. I know with things like this and take it from somebody who's doing a lot of the work and looking at some of the literature and not just like the impact on people and sports, but youth and, and, you know, um, having proper role models. I mean, you can just, what you think is a small portion, you just don't know one little moment can truly change somebody's life. So I, I'm saying that to really like keep motivating you. And is there, what do you think you would have told yourself as maybe you are heading into Stanford or about to head into the NFL, whatever critical period that you think, what period of your life, how old were you? Yeah. Would you have said something to yourself about what is to come from from football and also after your athletic journey? How old would you be and what would you say to your blank year old self? About Can you explain that one more time for me? Yeah, so if you were to talk to your younger self, yeah. 
about, hey, this is what is to come. Kind of like giving yourself advice Uh about what you're going to learn from football and giving him advice about how to prepare for life after football. Yeah. How old would Greg be? And what would you say to this, however old you would be? All right. Ooh. So it's, I'm going to approach it. I'm going to approach it in two ways because it, okay. it's different as a walk on punter because I wasn't expecting, I wasn't, ex- didn't even think, I honestly didn't even think we missed. There's a whole story in there. If we had another hour, I wouldn't play arena <laughs> football for three days in New York um, because I thought that was my only route. Um, but that's, that's, that's a different, different podcast for a different day. Um, <laughs> So the advice for me was, would be just go for it. Um, I always had a passion to play football. Even after college, I would have played in Canada and Europe, played in the arena leagues. Just go for it. If your passion is there, go for it. Um, But what I also tell my current students is set yourself a timeline. You know, don't go from Mm. college to eight years later saying go for it because you're going to end up eight years later sleeping on someone's couch broke without any opportunity. Um, so set a timeline to go for it, yeah. but always be prepared for, oh, let's see, geez, I don't even have like a, like a one liner right here. You don't need a one liner. So for me as a walk on, as a backup guy that just wanted, was thirsty to keep playing football. The advice is go for it. For okay. someone who football is first and there's a good chance they got a scholarship or they're going to be drafted. It is, who are you outside of football? That's not so much advice as it is a question to go explore. Um, Because at some point that game's going to be gone. And um, I would tell recruits when I'm meeting with them at at the college level, my job is to prepare you for something outside of sport. If you happen to become a pro and make $100 million, you're welcome to come back in your Bentley and tell me I was wrong. (laughs) I haven't had that happen yet. But my job is to prepare you for something outside of it. That does not mean in any way, shape or form that I don't support you as an athlete because that go for it still applies to you too, but prepare for something outside of sport because at some time you're going to need that. Even if you do make a hundred million dollars, you're not just going to sit around all day. Um, So go for it, but prepare for something outside of sport. And that I love that the earlier you prepare for it, the smoother that will transition will be. It'll I don't know if I've seen a teammate flawlessly transition. I don't even know if that exists, but it'll smooth out that road a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if I've seen a lot of athletes have that smooth transition. And thank you for doing that exercise. And I agree. I think the identity part is really, really important. And I think that has to happen earlier because it's true. If you have a little bit more of a wholer self, then you know, there's, there's more room to move around, but when you're just an athlete, which is something that I experience yeah. now, when you're no longer an athlete, now you don't have a purpose. Now you don't yeah. know who you are. Now you don't know where to go. Yep. So to put it in terms that you kind of mentioned earlier, if you have multiple identities or an identity outside of athlete, all you have to do is refocus instead of redefine. Uh, if you have to redefine yourself, <laughs> it's rough. That's going to be a journey. But if you refocus on that game plan, you know, there might be, you might sway from it, but you could just refocus. And that's awesome. That's awesome. 
I am always here for another hour, but I know you have other stuff to do. But I do want to hear that arena football story. So then that might give us another excuse to hear more stories and bring you back. Because that's something that I I am not somebody on the show that's like, oh, we have a brand new guest. No, I like to bring my old guests on because it's fun. I'll throw the teaser out there. So I was going to make 26 grand, which I thought was riches. I thought I was going to be rolling in the dough. (laughs) The free housing was in the back of a condemned insane asylum in long beach what and i was i was going for it i was they had put me in there for three days i was going to live behind what looks like a haunted mansion and play football because i still wanted to play football was that on the brochure is that how they sold that was not how they sold it they said free house (laughs) they didn't say might be visited by haunted ghosts when you sleep but yes yeah i was going for it you know i was following my advice that 40 year old greg was giving me and i was going for it that's awesome well i'm glad you went for it and you ended up making the nfl so i think if, if there's a lesson to be taken away from it you just never know what could happen if you go for it and you have to be 100 percent. however as you mentioned, the timeline, that's, that is absolutely excellent. Um, Greg, it's so much fun catching up with you and reminiscing and talking about, thank you so much for coming on the show and opening up. And also for those listening, uh, where can we find you? And if if there's any way we can help what you're doing, um, this is your time to shine and share with the world. Yeah. Twitter, Twitter is my world to the, my, uh, my gateway to the masses, I guess you could oh, say. Oh boy. Yeah. I love Twitter. So anyone come hang out with me on Twitter at catch Camarillo. Um, that's, that's my spot. You could DM me. I actually see the messages. Um, <laughs> I, I love good Twitter interaction. So come my way. That's awesome. All right, Greg, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate awesome. it. Thank you, Brim. Really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. For more episodes, you can visit our homepage on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And to watch the full version of these interviews, you can head on over to YouTube. All you have to do is just search the next chapter with me, Prim Saripapat. Subscribe to us, like us, give us a star rating. We really appreciate you listening and also showing your support. The next chapter with Prim Saripapat is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.